matter what you believe, uh, no matter how the semester is going for you, we want you to feel welcome and we want you to feel welcome in RUF and at large group. Um, in RUF, we are committed to trying to figure out what it looks like for us to love God and love others and to love Wofford. But more fundamentally, we're bound by the reality that before we love God, before we love others and love Wofford, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God loves us. And so as we retell over and over and over again this old story of the good news of Jesus, as we get bound up in the realities of that, we have to love God, and we have to serve our neighbors, and we have to love Wofford College. And we've been going through um, Psalms of Ascent, calling it Songs for the Road, and we're Psalm 129 tonight. And really, the main image that I've wanted on your minds and hearts this semester is this image of this long journey, this long pilgrimage. That needs to be the image of the Christian life for you. It's not an overnight process. It's not an errand. This is a long journey following Jesus. That's the image. And Psalm 129 really is a psalm that kind of gets at a theme that's really important for any kind of journey, and it's this. It's perseverance. Psalm 129 is all about perseverance, and when we think about the Christian life, usually when we say the, the Christian life is not a solo act, usually what we mean by that is you were made for community. And that's true. Um, you can't persevere in the Christian life without community. But it's also uh, the perseverance life of Jesus. It's where Jesus actually sustains you. So what we're going to see, I just want to name on the front end where we're going. This is a psalm about perseverance, and the Christian life is about God sustaining you, not you preserving yourself. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see it in a couple ways, but I'm going to read the passage first. And if I can find, I'll just go to my Bible on my phone. But friends, I say this every week. God is not silent. He's spoken to us, and he's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace. He hasn't spoken to us to give us a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you. He's spoken to me because he loves us. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their pharaohs. The Lord is righteous. He's cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and, be tur- and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. We pray. Lord, your word is living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. But our minds are busy, our hearts are restless, and so we do ask by your Spirit you would slow us down, that we'd hear your word and do your word, that we would see Jesus to be beautiful, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, Be with us, teach us in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 129 shows us that he sustains us. God sustains his people on the journey of faith, and we see that he does so in two ways. By giving us his presence and by providing us with his protection. Presence and protection. That's how God sustains us. That's how we persevere. Let's do the first one, presence. 
Again, the Christian life is not solo. You are not meant to be alone. That's true. You were meant for Christian community. But if you think of Genesis 1 and 2 and you think of the Garden of Eden, Adam wasn't just meant for Eve. He was made to dwell with God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what we read is the Spirit of, the God, Spirit of God hovered the waters. That Adam and Eve walked around in the Garden of Eden with God. They were made for each other, Adam and Eve were, but they were also made for God. Their souls were restless ultimately until they rested in God. That's who they were made for. And one of God's nicknames in Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, which is the fancy biblical way of saying God is with us. God engages us. God takes on flesh and invades our space. And so the psalm begins with this reality that This pilgrimage that God's people find themselves on is very difficult. And the Bible does not shy away from this. Psalm 13 doesn't, as what we read. And Psalm 129 doesn't. And when we think of God's people in the Old Testament, we think of Egyptian bondage. We think of wilderness wandering in the desert. If you'll look at verses 1 through 4 again, I'm going to summarize. But if you'll just have that in front of you, there's affliction in verse 2. Three, the plowers plow. There's like this agricultural imagery of of oppression and slavery, which the Israelites knew, um, literally. And then verse four, we read the key verse. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Now, let me me nerd out for a second on the word righteous. You know, it's one of those biblical churchy words that we need to, to talk about for a second. Righteous is a common translation So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. There's a Hebrew verb that is there for righteous. And it's getting at this, it's denoting this idea of personal relationship. Righteousness in the Bible is not getting at one of God's abstract attributes. It's not an idea. Righteousness takes on flesh. Righteousness is a relational word. Basically, the psalmist is saying... Here's this wilderness wandering and oppression, but the Lord is righteous, i.e., what he's trying to say, the Lord has, like, dealt with me. The Lord has not shied away from oppression or away from evil. He engages it. It's how he deals with us. It's a relational word. So to say that God is righteous is to say that God deals with and interacts with us. And ultimately, we see how how he ultimately deals with us in Jesus Eugene Peterson puts this uh, this way. You can follow along on your handout. The quote is there. When the Bible says that God sticks with us, the emphasis is on his dependable personal relationship, that he is always there for us, that he sticks with us is the reason Christians can look back over a long long life crisscross with cruelties, unannounced tragedies, unexpected setbacks, sufferings, disappointments, depressions. We look back across all that and see that this is a road of blessing and make a song out of what we see. God sticks to his relationship. He established a personal relationship with us and stays with it. The central reality for Christians is the personal, unalterable, preserving commitment God makes to us. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. We survive in the way of faith, not because we have extraordinary stamina, but because God is righteous, because God sticks with us. 
So we persevere. We can keep going because God sustains us with his presence. He sticks with us. He sticks with us. And so the the road with Jesus is not like, let go and let God, he's with me, therefore I don't have to act like the world sucks. That's not it. We're going to look at the evil in the world honestly, honestly, but also say, the world is really dark, but he said that he will never leave me or forsake me. He sticks with me. So God's people have been through the ringer, but God sticks with them. You can say, when you get caught up in this reality that God is with you and he's sustaining you, that I am made fun of because I'm a Christian. You can say something like that, honestly, but God has stuck with me. I've been abandoned, or I feel about abandoned, but God has stuck with me. I feel lonely, but God sticks with me. I've grieved, but God stuck with me. I've ran away from God, but God chased me down and he never left me. I've rebelled against God, but he sticks with me. In one of our favorite hymns in RUF called Abide With Me, there's this favorite line. I remember singing this for the first time my freshman year of college and just being completely undone by this line. I'd never sang the song before. And it's kind of a subtle, in the stanza, it's a subtle line if you don't catch it. And the line is this, Thou hast not left me, though I oft left thee. You do not leave me, though I often leave you. God sticks with me. That's why we can sustain. That's why we can persevere in our faith because he's present with us. All right, we're going to talk about the Lion King for a second and lighten up a little bit. So we all know that Simba has daddy issues. That's really what, you know, to psychoanalyze this movie. So we're going to do that now. So Simba has daddy issues. So y'all know the scene. Simba is, his identity is king, and he has this identity crisis, and he goes into the wilderness, and then there's that great scene where Mufasa, like, creepily shows up in the clouds, and he says that classic line to Simba, remember who you are. That's, that's the deal. That kind of is the Lion King in a nutshell. And usually when people talk about this movie, that's what we focus on, that we use identity language for Simba. He's forgotten that he's king. He's forgotten that he's the prince. And I, that, I think that's true, but what sticks out to me more for our purposes is that I actually think what's more acute for him is that he's alone. He's actually, when, when uh, Mufasa does his thing in the clouds, he's alone. He goes and does like solitude for a little bit to get away from the noise. He's alone. And so he, you know, the 90s music is playing on the background when he runs back to Pride Rock, you know, whatever, whoever it was, Elton John's music or whatever. And I think he runs back um, because he has more security in his identity, for sure. I'm the king, and I'm going to go back to my kingdom. But I also think with his, like, graffiti sort of circle of life worldview, he knows that his dad is with him, and he knows that I'm not alone. So I think there's, there's something more than just identity. And here's what I mean. You can persevere, and this is why it's important. You can persevere in your faith because you're a child of God, and God is your father, and he's not going to leave you or forsake you. But he just doesn't want to leave your presence. You're not alone. Like, he's just not going to leave you. It's not just that you have a status of son or daughter. You have that status, and that status isn't going to change. You can't unchange that. But you also can't outrun him. Like, you can't outrun his presence. And that, that's acute. Like, we just have to have that on our minds and on our hearts if we want to persevere 
And what we end up seeing, if we, if we just kind of get kind of meta on the biblical storyline, we'll see that God has made promises to sustain his people with his presence all over the Bible. It's everywhere. I want to summarize a couple of statements from the scriptures in Old and New Testaments. I just want you to receive this just to, and we could go all over the place highlighting these promises. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Isaiah 43. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13. God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1. John 10, I am the good shepherd, you're my sheep. You hear my voice, no one can snatch you out of my loving grip. John 10. We're in the grind of the spring right now, and I know you're fatigued, and um, I am too. And Perseverance uh, said in the, the first large group, I did not plan on preaching on Psalm 129 because it was a perseverance psalm. It's just where we're at. And I'm really thankful we're here. Um, We need to hear that God is not going to leave us and that his presence is going to stick with us. So I hope you can just hear that and walk away with more confidence that as you walk home from the library and go back to your apartment, as you drive around this little town, Jesus and his presence by his spirits in you in the car. And he's walking around on campus with you. I hope you can hear that. Like, Sunday school theological answers, he is with you and he's going to sustain you. Let's go to the second one. He doesn't just sustain us with his presence, he sustains us. We can persevere because of his protection. His protection. So, uh, my dad and I, I was nine or 10 years old, and my dad and I went to this family friendly music festival in Huntsville, Alabama. They no longer handle, uh, have it anymore because it turns out it was not family friendly. And they had an eclectic mix of bands every year, and it was called the Big Spring Jam. The Big Spring Jam, Huntsville, Alabama. I'm nine or ten. And I was, I was insistent on going that year because I wanted to see my favorite band, Creed. I had to go. <laughs> and so my dad and I go, and dad and I are walking to the car afterwards, and it's in downtown Huntsville, and we're walking, and these two guys are walking towards us really fast and kind of unself-aware spatially. They probably had too much to drink, and they were talking really loud, and they started cussing a lot, and F-bombs and every word you can think of, and I'm just like, you know, I saw Back to the Future, you know, and heard, like, bad words, but these were, like, this was kind of intense, And my dad, who is known for his kind of non-anxious, calm, steady presence, when they pass us, he turns around, and I'm holding his hand, and he goes, hey, watch your mouth. My son doesn't need to hear that to the guys. And, you know, picture like a Gotham City sort of metropolitan setting, you know, Huntsville, Alabama, right? And you could hear a pin drop. Anything that's like... If there were cars driving, they stopped, right? And they, what is about to go down? This like 50-year-old gray-haired man. Um, and here's what I remember about that moment. I gripped my dad's hand even tighter. And I had, one, I was f- fearful for my dad because these bros were younger and we were outnumbered. Uh, and, then, and then two, I, I, I acutely had this thought, 
I, I, had, I felt safe. And I think putting language on the experience now, and I remember I felt like this about my, because my dad has been the most consistent presence in my life, um, throughout my life. There is this sense of like, if I'm with him, I'm safe. If I'm with him, I'm safe. And that's what I felt. And there was kind of, we might, we might lose the fight, but somehow I'm like existentially and physically safe when my dad is around. And I want, what would it look like and what we're going to walk through in a, with this protection section here? What would it look like to walk around this campus in this town with that kind of confidence? If he is with me by his spirit like he says he is, I'm safe. I'm protected. What would that feel like? Um, And maybe not just occasional flickers of that. What would it look like to actually ride the wave of that experience if you felt that with Jesus? Because left to ourselves, we are in over our heads. We can't handle life in a fallen world. We need someone to be our protection when we experience danger. And again, when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that God's people cannot handle evil in the world. They cannot handle life in the wilderness. You have Egyptian bondage, and you have exile, and you have wilderness, and you have Paul in prison. Like, we just can't handle this. And in verse 4 through 8, the psalmist is brutally honest about the reality of evil, that it actually sucks. Life in a fallen world, we're not going to pretend here. It is evil. And there are threats against God's people and against God's purposes. I want to tell you about a term that Paul loves a lot to describe evil in a fallen world. And here's the language that he uses. The principalities and powers. The principalities and powers. And by that term, he's trying to summarize what Genesis 3 has done to creation and to our souls. Principalities and powers. And there's three things going on with it. Sin, Satan, and death. Those are the great enemies. Those are the principalities and powers. And God has so pledged himself to his people that he has said, the principalities and powers, I refuse to let them win on my creation and my people. And sin, Satan, and death, what I do with my son when I take on flesh and I enter into the space, I'm I'm going to address those principalities and powers head on. And that's what we see Jesus doing. And so while evil might characterize our news feeds, God has promised that it will never have the last word, and we can be confident about that. Verse 4, I want you to see this. There's a, um, I don't know what your translation says, but here's a a paraphrase of verse 4. Listen to this. This is the, the sort of like how God deals with his people being in bondage. God ripped the harness of the evil plowman to shreds. God ripped the harness of the the evil plowman to shreds. I actually like how violent that is. And I'm the violence is necessary and here here's what I mean by that. God's answer to sin is not to tolerate sin. God's answer to Satan is to not negotiate with Satan. God's answer to death is to not manage death. God took on flesh to obliterate the powers. 
to defeat the powers, to rip them to shreds. And so Jesus can say crazy things like, it is finished all the way, not halfway. That's what he's saying. It's really finished. He really walked up out of a graveyard. He really did die. In Jesus, God has said, I'm refusing to let evil hurt and destroy my people. That's what he's saying. In Jesus, he's saying, I will not let my people be persecuted. The enemies of sin, Satan, and death are no match for God. And we know that's true because of the cross and resurrection. That is the answer. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus did die by voluntarily submitting himself to a state-sponsored execution and died like an animal for all to see. Not sure how much more dark it can get. Jesus, the Son of God, abandoned by his friends, despised, forsaken. Father, why have you forsaken me? I don't experience your presence in this moment. Why? So my people will never have to experience abandonment by you, ever. So sin and Satan and death will be dealt with. And then three days later, Jesus woke up. Jesus woke up. And God's victory over the powers of sin, Satan, and death, which is the last enemy, he defeated it once and for all. And I've said this, like, sort of, phrases like this this semester, I feel like, and I don't know why, but um, when Jesus walks up out of a graveyard, some of the times I use that language, I'm, I'm, I want to use visceral, like, earthy language for you to visualize. So when you see, like, Easter egg hunts in a couple weeks, that you remember, like, a dead man got up. Like, do your Easter eggs. But, like, our life depends on this. You know what I mean? So I, I, want, I want it to feel weighty. That's why I'm talking like that. He, took, he, he looked at sin right in the face and death and defeated it. So if you are a Christian, and I, know, I feel like I know most of you all in here, so I, I'm, I'm going to talk to you assuming that like you self-consciously call yourself a Christian. If you are a child of God, God will protect you, and sin like, just does not define you anymore. It just doesn't. It, does, it will never have the last word. And I, look, and especially those who... The, some of the fatigue stuff of the spring, that also involves like sort of backsliding addiction stuff. And you thought you'd be further along in some sort of sin pattern in the spring than you were in the fall. And shame is more acute than you thought it was going to be, than it, whatever it is. I just want to remind you that it really is finished and sin is an enemy that was defeated 2,000 years ago for you. So it doesn't define you. And Satan might tempt you and lie to you and accuse you. But God has said in his son, you cannot touch my child. You cannot touch my daughter. You cannot touch my son. And he can't. He can't. We can talk about spiritual warfare. We can talk about hearing lies from Satan. I know those things are real. But he does not own you. He does not. He has no say. He has no authority ever. And here, crazy Easter thing to say, death can't even kill you. Death can't even kill you. He will protect you even from death. Not only that, he will raise you. (laughs) He will raise you. Just like he rose his son up as he walked up out of the grave. 
So God's promise to sustain us, we can't do it on our own. It's not about our piety and our competency. It's not self-sufficient grunt work. It's God walking with his children for their whole life until he returns to make all things new. I want to say um, two things uh, as we're landing the plane. Um, The first is this, and I, I want to say on the front of these are extremely, this is one of those sermons where like the passage is so, um, I love the Psalms of Ascent because they're so short and you can really just like squeeze the life out of them. But oftentimes it's just like very simple truths. And the first thing that I want to, you to think about is this. To know that God is sticking with you this semester. So I, oftentimes when I'm meeting with you all one-on-one, I'm asking, what would it look like to finish the semester well? I've asked a lot of you all that question over the years. What would it look like to finish well with your roommates? What would it look like to finish well in your sorority and fraternity and student organizations and life with God? What does it look like to finish well? That's our question. We're in the perseverance kind of part of the semester. I just want you to know, like, as you answer that question, if you're thoughtful enough to slow down long enough to ask that question, so I don't want to assume you are asking that question. You should ask that question. How do you finish well? Whatever, I know, look, Driven Wofford folks, you're going to want to go to your natural gifts and just run on fumes and just like grind this thing out. God is with you by his spirit. Rely on him like a child. That's finishing well. So he's with you. You can run yourself into the ground. He's not going to leave you. I don't want you to do that. Pace yourself. And part of pacing yourself is allowing God to sustain you. You don't have to do this on your own. You just don't. Go with the grain of how he's wired you, and he's, always, he's wired you to be a child with him. So just go with him. Work with him how he does it. He's going to stick with you. And then second, kind of this uh, the, on the protection piece, I hope that you can rest in his protection of you. You know, there's a psalm, I, I say this a lot, I think it's in Psalm um, 120, but it says, He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. I go to this all the time. Wendell Berry has this wonderful line in one of his poems. It says, great work is done while we're asleep. Great work is done while we're asleep. What work is he referring to? It's not work that we're doing. It's work that God is doing because he never clocks out. And so, and you have to like, to be able to sleep well, literally you are saying with your body, to do Sabbath well, you're literally saying with your body, I'm trusting that my worth and my security and my status is not up to me. I'm literally having to stop. You're saying with your body, I believe in God's sufficiency and his protection, that I can sleep because he does not sleep. So I, I, I want you to be able to finish well and persevere with like a confidence, not that it's not going to be difficult, that we got, still got a long time to go or whatever in the semester to finish well but just a confidence in his protection of you. So, <clears throat> Ivy, one of our, our kind of jokes that's come out of, uh, of parenthood is that um, <laughs> what she would just, re- like, Ivy thinks I have road rage now that I'm a dad. So, here's the deal. When we're driving, uh, when Annie is in the car, especially if Ivy's not in the car with me, so I can, like, I, Annie doesn't know what I'm saying yet. Um, so when we're driving and we're on Pine Street or whatever, and people are being crazy on Pine Street, and if people make weird moves on the road and if someone's on their phone or whatever, 
I have this like instinctive out of control, like I'm ready to like get on somebody about this. I feel so um, worked up by what is happening. And Ivy, whenever the first time I sort of, I don't know, I don't know if I said, I just like visibly like was just so angry when some sweet little old lady was like swerving. And Ivy was like, she's old, be nice. And I was like, my daughter's in the back. And Ivy was like, um, so I, I think, <laughs> okay, back up. Okay. <clears throat> I, I, there's no, here's, here's what I want you to feel confident in. And I think when, with, uh, if, if I'm with my dad, I'm safe and brings uh, big spring uh, jam downtown Huntsville. If I'm with my dad, I'm safe. And I think uh, what I want to articulate about that funny story and like how I drive now apparently is God through Jesus, his like knee jerk reaction to evil and anything that would threaten you is like getting really worked up. You know, that he would do what he did on a cross and with an empty tomb. Let me pray for us.